Welcome to the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are cultivating conversations about our world that help us impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. Your hosts are Andrew Unger, Alan Vosberg, and me, John Mark Smith. This week, we're diving into a YouTube video, something new for us. You'll be able to find the video link in our description um, and follow along in our conversation there. All right, fellas, our icebreaker for today is about beach reads. Since we are right here at the dawn of summer, I want to know what what book you're taking to the beach. Andrew? All right, so I am literally leaving to go to the beach this weekend. Um, and so my book is... Uh, okay, so two books. One is... Uh, Children of God, the sequel to The Sparrow by Mary Daria Russell. Uh, it is very depressing and sad. Um, it is not a beach read, but I'm committed. I read The Sparrow last year, and then um, I recommended it to a friend who started reading, and I was like, you know, that Aaron Harrison was very specific that I had to read Children of God in order to properly understand The Sparrow. So shout out to Aaron. Now you have to listen to our podcast. So you can hear my shout out. Um I'm reading Children of God. And then I started reading um, Chesterton's Orthodoxy. I've never read any G.K. Chesterton before. Um, I like it. It's good so far. It's, I, I like his style. He's he's winsome. And I've enjoyed that. We need to have a podcast video where people can see Ellen's incredible, incredulous <laughs> face at, my, at simply invoking G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> G.K. Chesterton has some of the best. See, I have a friend who is super passionate, like loves G.K. Chesterton. I think he rereads Orthodoxy every year. Wow. And I've only tried to read G.K. Chesterton a couple of times. But so in graduate school, I worked at the Wade Center at Wheaton College. And so I was an archival clerk and I... I, I did a lot of processing of some of G.K. Chesterton's work. And so that's my main <laughs> interaction with him is with these like newspaper columns he used to write. <laughs> and I just like I think of him as being like, it's funny that you describe him as winsome because that is not the impression I got <laughs> from from his, his newspaper. newspaper columns. Right. But I'll admit most of my exposure to G.K. Chesterton is, is pretty limited. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, when I go to the beach, which unfortunately this summer does not look like it's in the cards with our schedule, um, but I would be taking two books probably. I always take one book that's the book I want to read but probably won't. It's that something serious. So um, I mean, they're all books I will read eventually, but it's just on the on beach I usually end up with the easy reading. But um, the two books I'm working on right now is um, When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough by... Um, uh, Taylor Schumann, I believe, and uh, been w- reading through that, and that I'd, I'd probably bring that to try and finish it off. But I would also bring a Brandon Sanderson novel. It's just a like fun, easy. I'm at the beach. I don't have to work hard. I'd probably be reading something from Mistborn because the newest book in that series is coming out this November, and I'm like, let's let's kind of refresh and get ready for the new book. That's what I would bring to the beach, and I would feel guilty every time I went to the beach because I would take Brandon Sanderson and leave. my serious book in the house i always think it's really funny what people consider to be a beach read because i think the the sort of traditional definition of that term is something something fun 
um, something maybe a little frothy. But, <laughs> like, it actually just depends on what you think is fun to read. So, Andrew likes depressing books at the beach, so. Apparently. Right, I was going to say, I guess Andrew wants to be sad at the beach. Man. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not going to the beach either, but I am going on vacation next week, and I intend to take several novels. I only take novels, and they are usually romance novels, because I want to have fun, preferably of like the kind of comedic rom-com variety. So I'm going to take, um, the first book I think I'm going to read is um, Book Lovers by Emily Henry. She's an author I really like, um, and she's written... She writes kind of fun rom-com type books. Um, I'm also planning to take a romance novel called um, Flying Solo by Linda Holmes. And then um, the other book I'm going to take is by one of my favorite authors. I don't think this is like strictly a rom-com, but uh, it's called Cult Classic. Her name is Sloane Crossley. So th- those are that's my summer reading. So, Alan, how many of those books do you realistically think you'll get through on your vacation? I can usually read a couple of books on vacation, but I always like to take options, usually like three or four books, just in case like the mood, whatever my mood is. If I if I get there and I don't want to read book lovers, I also have okay. something slightly follow up follow up to this this question because I, I expect a, a spicy answer. Um, do audiobooks count as reading? Yes. Oh, that was way simpler for me Alan, than I expected. I thought there'd be more. I am a believer that audiobooks count. It re- like reading is not just I-, I think it's very limited to consider reading to be just something that like you do with your eyes holding an object. That doesn't feel fair. Andrew, do you agree? So I think, I think audiobooks are an acceptable other medium, but the medium is the message. There it is. And I think there is there something is. different about holding a book. It's I mean, I like Kindle books, but there is something different about reading a physical copy. Um, I find, I think about this all in terms of um, being at a church that watches the liturgy on a screen versus having a bulletin. Because when you're watching something, when you're reading the liturgy from like a PowerPoint slide or a keynote slide or whatever, you only see the next like three seconds of content, right? But there's something different when your eyes can kind of travel around, kind of see where you are in the service. It is a different experience. Um, it is a different experience. It is. I, no, I don't think we could argue that at all. But is it reading? Does it count as having reading the book? Well, do we want words to mean things, or do we want them to mean whatever? <laughs> this, these are the these are the takes I was expecting. Yes, I just I just want to point out that like you, if you are blind, you can still have read a book, even if you did not use your eyes. Like I like I think that it's important to acknowledge that limiting reading a book to have like be looking at the page with your eyes like, leaves out a lot of. Or, or it leaves out some segments of the population that, like, we still think of as be educated people who have read books. Oh, but see now, okay, we're gonna see. This is gonna go down real quick because I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't count as an important way to interact with content and ideas. 
I'm just saying I want words to mean things. And and okay, listening I'll, to I'm an audiobook you guys is I start different. I started tracking the books I read by year. I keep a list. And in 2021, I read 38 books. But if you don't count audiobooks, I read four. So <laughs> you ingested the wow. ideas of 38 books and you read four books. That's not true. Six. I read six. Well, <laughs> well we're doing things different today because not only are we doing audiobooks. But we are not even going to be discussing a, an article today. We are ingesting an idea from the internet today. <laughs> because today, for you guys, instead of our normal article discussion, we are actually going to be discussing a video from YouTube because we're youth pastors and this is what we do. Um, so a few weeks ago, I was on YouTube and I one of my favorite kind of sketch comedy groups, which uh, this is not necessarily an endorsement of all their content, but uh, they're called Viva La Dirtly. They make a lot of um, comedic sketch videos about um, gaming online, which I find amusing. But they did this this video that I found fascinating um, where they were uh, creating this context where um, there was an office space, a blank office space, and one person there kind of is the algorithm manager for social media. And someone comes in and basically the, the comic setup is that they're saying, I don't want to see what you're showing me. And they get into an argument with the office guy. And he keeps saying, well, let's check the research. And he pulls out his research and keeps saying, no, 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 according to our research is you do actually want to see uh, this content. And then the guy's like, no, I don't want to see that. And he's like, well, that's not what the research says. And that's basically the gist of the video. Of course, they make it much funnier than I do because they're comedic and I'm not. <laughs> but uh, and the th I was watching this video and, it, and I laughed. And I also just thought like, wow, there is something really profound happening here because what they're turning into a source of comedy is this reality of which how the algorithm of social media works, right? It's not just curating a feed for you based on what they think you'll like. There's a way in which it's shaping us based on even our undesired actions, right? So that's what this guy's doing is he's, uh, in this case, it's dancing, girls dancing videos that he did, he says he doesn't want to see. But the algorithm keeps saying, well, you watch them even if you say you don't want to. And I was thinking, isn't that such a great microcosm for the reality of life that the way we are shaped is so often... Um, when our unhealthy desires take take control and that there's a tension that exists between what we say we want, what we truly want, and then what we kind of act on. And that there's a tension that exists and that the algorithm of social media is not designed to appeal to what we say we want or what we, you know, in our truest sense want, but like our, our, our fallen, broken, what we actually do. And I thought that was a very compelling um, depiction of that. And it made me think of Jamie Smith's work and this idea of liturgies that shape us and how we are shaped. And I was like, wow, here's a liturgy shaping us and designed to shape us around not what we say we want, not what we choose, but our subconscious brokenness and what we actually do. And I just found that so fascinating and so relevant. And, you know, we talk about social media so much in youth ministry, but just this specific aspect of the algorithm and the, the way it appeals to our our unspoken and unbidden desires. It was fascinating to me. So I thought it was worth talking about. And I want to hear what you guys think. Ellen, what was your response to the video? 
Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I think the video is one of those things that, um, like, is is sort of painfully true. Um, like that we that we we want to think that we're we're above the algorithm that we're controlling what we see, um, and so it's really interesting to think that like um, not only can we read the algorithm but the algorithm can read us. And listening to you talk, um, like I'm sort of I, I, my I'm wondering about like a like a like like creating a spiritual practice where you kind of examine what your social media is showing you as a way to like show yourself like what you're mm. kind of unaware of like like maybe like maybe maybe sins or ideas or you know like like it, it can be almost anything like like what is your social media revealing about about you and your desires mm. and your priorities that that you you may be mm. unaware of because it can read us that well I don't know. That's kind of my initial thought. So there's almost like it can be a tool to reveal something. Yeah. Whereas like we might, I can see where our initial reaction is like, oh, like it's really scary that algorithms have these kind of, this kind of power in our lives, right? Um, that they know us better than we know ourselves. But but maybe there's a way to harness it. <laughs> maybe this is like the, the positive impulse in my personality um, that we can actually use it what the algorithm intended for evil <laughs> god intended for good yeah uh, so here's um, a question who 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 would you be comfortable showing your for you page to un uncurated just let them like see what's there oof no one no <laughs> <laughs> easy question um yeah <laughs> maybe my spiritual director <laughs> Like, but I'd want to be there looking at it with her, ready to explain. Oh, no. I'd want to not be there. Like, that. when when I share, when I have Joy read my sermons for me, like my drafts ahead of time, like, I have to be in a different room. Like, I can't watch someone editing my work. I have to, like, like you look at it. Don't make me watch you react to it. Just give me the cliff notes of your ideas afterwards. But don't, I don't, I don't want any live responses. I think to to double down on my methodology today, apparently, which is to dive down into words. Um, John Mark, you kept using this this phrase about like what we want or what we actually want, and I think I think the 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 joke in the video is a play on the word. What does want mean? Because the guy says, "I don't I don't want to see these videos," and the algorithm's like, "Well." We've looked at you. You do want these things because you do this, and it actually, it, it's that important piece about like. I mean, really, it's it's just different parts of the brain, right? Like, it's it's is it our our impulsive brain, what it wants, or what our sort of prefrontal cortex wants? I'm I'm looking right now at an image that um. Uh, a child psychologist shared with me. It's called Anxiety Brain for Kids. And it just mentions three parts of the brain. It's a little cartoon. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Um, but there's Amy, the amygdala, the jumpy superhero, which is this like gorilla in a cape. Then there's Tex, the prefrontal cortex, who is the smart sheriff, who is the like thinking one. And then there's the hippocampus, the librarian in the background. But that idea that like, I think it's so valuable. I think especially for students whose amygdalas are being 
nonstop worked by corporations and being taken advantage of to help them see that difference between want and want. Like the things you want, the things you will naturally instinctively want, not even necessarily bad, right? Like let's acknowledge that 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 part of our brain is created by God and and is helpful in many situations. Um, But those things you want are then governed by a different kind of want. And this is where Jamie Smith stuff comes in because Mm-hmm. you need to use that prefrontal cortex. You need to use the, the the thinking side of your brain to recognize the things that you should want, recognize that you don't actually want them, and then train yourself how to want them. Like we almost have to be our own algorithm to say, I'm going to, instead of letting Facebook choose to show me the things that I want or TikTok to sort of give me the things that I want, I'm going to thoughtfully and carefully take control of not what my social media feed is, but what the things are that I pattern my own life around. What things am I feeding myself all the time? And, and how, do I, how do I thoughtfully retrain my own algorithm to, to point me in the yeah. right direction? Um, yeah. This right. is the first time I've ever thought about connecting that. What, algor- what we all know algorithms do and Smith's idea about sort of habituating virtue, but... Um, definitely using that in the future. Um, this podcast is just an opportunity for me to think of youth ministry ideas in public. So (laughs) coming soon to a lesson at St. Luke's youth group that I'm also really intrigued by, um, like, correct me if I have the timeline wrong, but I, I think that this video was prompted or at least like this idea in the zeitgeist was prompted by a pastor on Twitter. (laughs) Talking about how everybody needed to get off TikTok because it only shows you like videos of dancing half naked women. Yeah, we, we talked about that video on TikTok before. I don't know if this group is aware of it, but it definitely for me happened at the same time of like, oh, this thing and that thing seem very connected. Um, right, which it, like is maybe a slightly different topic than what we were trying, what we we're exactly trying to talk about today. But but the sort of like unconscious revelation of like a, a pastor <laughs> like yeah putting his sin like his sin nature his sinful desires um, on display in public um and how right. kind of uh, yeah i don't know it like it's upsetting <laughs> to me on one level um well also like it, it is true that that like pastors are people who um, like they're people, <laughs> um, they also struggle with sin the way you know the laity do. Like it's not, it doesn't put you in a, a holier camp. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think the algorithm is a big part there too, though, because because once you like, even if you only mildly engage with something, and then like, oh no, this is not right, and you pull back, the algorithm knows that sells. Right. And whether it's the algorithm for social media or even for advertisements online, like you will then suddenly be inundated with stuff. So I think that's one of the things where it, it can get exaggerated quickly online because even one small little moment of like engaging something mildly and then being like, no, I'm pulling back, then can trigger a whole like slew of follow up things. So then your life gets harder for you as a pastor or as a person in trying to avoid that. So uh that's that's one of my thoughts my other thought 
is uh, that it it is probably important for everyone, and especially pastors, to intentionally go through and do the things that we can do to control our algorithm. Like, right. um, you know, going through, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok, and, like, actively, like, the, on Instagram, I know you can, like, press on a thing that it's showing you and say, I'm not interested. Right. And, and kind of, like, in, and that takes... You have to, I would say, have to do that in a time when you're in a mental and spiritually healthy place so that when you come to a moment of being a mental, emotional, spiritually drained place, that's not the time where you're trying to do all this work of gatekeeping, right? If you're gatekeeping in an unhealthy place, gatekeeping doesn't work well. But if I if I go to the in a healthy place, let me make sure I'm being proactive in curating my feeds to be quality as much as I can. And then in my, when I'm tired or emotionally lonely or whatever, I'm not then having to fight against like a a really broken algorithm that is feeding me a lot of things that are unhelpful. Well, and it, I mean, that makes me think about like people on Twitter who talk about liberally using the block button. Like there's a sense in which that kind of a decision requires you to be incredibly, um, harsh aggressive with the things you cut out um because i think like it did strike me when the in the video and they're like oh you you lingered on that thing a little bit long like you say you don't want to but you kind of watch that video for 10 seconds longer on average than any other videos um i mean which we talked about this last time with with sort of (laughs) corporate gift lists like i am i am very confident in corporate america's ability to sort of learn about us and market back to us what we have. And I'm just as confident in social media's ability to accurately see that kind of stuff, which means which means the stakes are even higher about sort of where you linger, where what things you say, well, maybe that's not so bad. Or like sometimes mm-hmm. this subreddit shows me interesting content and sometimes it's stuff I don't want to see, but like I'm willing to wade through the stuff I don't want to see. That's not, that's less of an option because it's not just that one thing. The algorithm will then sort of exponentially increase that thing you're uninterested, that thing that leads you to vice, that thing that you know is sort of not good for you. It's like when we're eating junk food, it's like, okay, well, I can choose to sort of do portion control, except the algorithm sees that you like junk food and just has a nonstop pipeline of junk food it wants to give you. Because like what motivates the the algorithms right like churning new content to you like the algorithms exist because they want to constantly push more content towards you so they get more clicks like that's that's what drives it so they can mine more data that's the motivating factor for an algorithm it's not because we want you to have a great experience although i'm sure that's that's not a downside but really or cultivate virtue right <laughs> definitely not, the, definitely not. <laughs> the algorithms are entirely uninterested in that what they want is for you to see more to, to consume more content and so it's never a thing that you can just see once because anything that they put there they will find the thing that you consume and try and push as much of it at you as humanly possible they're not interested in moderation they're not interested in 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 wise decisions and your well-being it's entirely about clicks so the stakes become higher about aggressively policing your own your own online behaviors and recognizing no one may be watching you click that but maybe you have to imagine 
that the algorithm sitting on your shoulder and is personified and is watching every click, every linger you have, um, because it so will. The algorithm is just Big Brother. Yes. <laughs> so you know, I want to be clear too, as we're talking about social media, because one of the things that I always feel like I I'm not one of those youth pastors that wants to be perceived as being like social media is evil. You should never use it. Right. So my question for us to start thinking about maybe in the the back half of our episode today is what are things that this kind of inspires us to think about and maybe do to help students engage social media in a healthy way? Like I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Ellen's idea early about how this might reveal something to us. And I'm curious cause I had not thought about that before. Can you guys think of any cool and appropriate ways where you might be able to kind of invite, what would a social media, um, you know, self evaluation or self review look like? Is that something we could reasonably try and do? I wonder if, um, I mean, I wonder if there are tools that tell you what, like what hashtags you see most frequently on TikTok, um, mm. or you just invite them like one day, sort of let's all sit down with our phones and like a pad of paper and let's just scroll, like just keep going through as many TikTok videos as possible on like a short time frame, and then write down what it's feeding you and see and, and take a moment to see what that says about you or look at all your ads this last week yeah. uh, or take a week to yeah. sort of see what things so, it's promoting. Andrew, if you were going to do that, what context with youth would you feel like would be a helpful place to do that kind of practice? Oh, like I think like as a youth group lesson, like everybody on, on Sunday night for youth group, bring your phones, bring your social media and, and we're going to take, like then say, okay, explain the, the activity, sit down, like for the next five minutes, I want you just to, to like rapid fire, scroll through all of your, all of your feeds on whatever content you have. Um, and, and, and start writing down what you're observing. Would you make them share that or invite them to share it? I mean, maybe in the same way that every, in every like, spiritual discipline contemplative activity i open the floor for sharing but i wouldn't mandate it wouldn't be like all right now pass it around to your right and have your neighbor (laughs) (laughs) compare and contrast Uh, turn turn them in for review we'll be giving you a a grade and analysis next week ellen you are going to say something yeah i i also wonder if like this kind of um exercise pairs well with a lot of like paul's teachings about about sin about like cutting away our sinful nature like i'm thinking of like a nice like um block sin (laughs) sort of (laughs) title for this um you know and how how it is true that like we we do exactly what we don't want to do we don't do what we do want to do you know those kinds of passages um Mm -hmm. and, and sort of couching it like biblically in that context um and then it then it feels like it has a really ready application to like yeah let's look at our let's look at what the algorithm is showing us about our desires both both good and bad um, and yeah talk about really practically like how to um, like monitor and watch those and 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 scrutinize them um, because like like what that pastor kind of revealed was his lack of awareness of how how it works. So, like, if we if we make our students aware, um, 
then right. it can become the kind of tool that I'm thinking of the analogy of like when I was in college and I watched uh, or had a professor for the first time talk about and kind of force us to look at magazine ads re- like a, mm. in in mass and be like what is what are they communicating and it's like the information was not new you've seen all those ad befores but when you look at them together you're like oh oh there is a certain value of male and female that was being depicted in those ads that I hadn't picked up on before just looking at them one at a time. And maybe it'd be something similar, like, oh, I mean, I think we all know what's in our feed in a sense, but we haven't sat down and, like, thought through and written down what it is. Uh, and I, to think about them as non-neutral. Like, I think I think we sometimes receive them as just, like, oh, this must be what everybody sees, or, like, these these advertisements are, are just general, um, and, and they're not. Like, like learning to, to read these things as as communicating something, as teaching us something, um, I think is an important discipline that you have to cultivate. And I mean, this, it's hard to find like an easy Bible passage that, that dovetails onto this, but there's a sense in which like, I think it's very important to take Jamie Smith's stuff to talk about form and function and design to help our students think about this. Cause I think what we're talking about is like, I often think about how social media itself isn't, it's a very poor place to have a substantive discussion, right? Like, and it's easy then to say like Twitter's bad cause you can't have good conversations. But I see all kinds of people who are encouraged on Twitter, who find like hilarious content on Twitter. And I think, okay, why is it that encouragement works? Or I would say encouragement works, but I think substantive discussion doesn't. And I, I think the answer is that, um, encouragement doesn't require context or patience the way that having a conflict does conflict requires you to have to pause to see the other person to read facial expressions it requires a level of extra effort um, in order to love the other person whereas encouragement you can just write an encouraging note to someone and it can fulfill that function and so I, i think having some step back to say like these things in their very design can accomplish certain types of human interaction well and other kinds of interaction poorly. Um, and to recognize that when we use when we use social media to have a debate, any successful conversation debate you've seen on Twitter happens despite it's the platform or, or because people are putting in extra effort on top of what the platform offers because the platform itself doesn't easily lend towards long-form discussion listening conversation it it lends to dehumanization um the fact that it's asynchronous means that you can over analyze your own responses or over analyze someone else's words rather than in a regular conversation like what we're having i could misspeak about something and you'll just be like okay well andrew just misspoke right um but i think understanding form and function are just super important as the world moves increasingly towards efficiency as a highest goal which it shouldn't be so would you do a series on that like would you do like a a series on kind of that concept and idea and then maybe end with something on social media or how would you teach that practically to youth i'd probably so my first thought is i'd probably teach it and i it's probably the kind of thing i would refer to frequently like i think it's a big enough paradigm that needs to be part of what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century that, um, that I think it needs to be referred back to all the time. And I, I think by the way, 
it also helps us communicate the value that I think we've found in the Anglican way, which is that there are these forms that we discover disciple us, even when we're not immediately aware of it. These forms work on us in a particular way, in a way that social media doesn't. Like the contrast to the liturgy is not that hard to make. Um, And at least to have our students understand the value of the tradition that they're inheriting. Yeah. Alan, I got to say, I still, I'm still a really big fan of your idea from earlier. And I keep thinking, I've been thinking a lot about um, what would it look like to create kind of like, not just about social media, but including social media kind of review and internal kind of evaluation in a list of, and, and a resource of spiritual disciplines. So it's like, here's a list of different spiritual disciplines. And that's, here's one you can do both because of what it reveals about you. And, you know, because we, we often practice, you know, abstinence, fasting, and include social media as an aspect of that. But some of the other spiritual disciplines, which are more contemplative and, you know, looking in at ourselves, and we don't have a, a social media version. So I'm just thinking about that, and I think that's such a great idea, and I'm wondering what it would look like to kind of put some creativity into creating um, some social media spiritual practices. Where you, and, and that's a great one to start with, just like self-awareness. So, um, And I want to kind of shift to kind of like some some more practical, like, okay, so we've talked about this, there's this form, this idea, what, what's our takeaways? What are we we're saying? This is what we want to kind of accomplish in ministering to youth in light of the algorithm that f- responds to our, both our, uh, overt and our covert desires. I think, I mean, I'll jump in and I agree that, uh, yeah, Alan, we're, I'm going to figure out how to do this social media examine thing um you know i'm mindful that some kids aren't on social media all the time you could even look at um i mean both iphones and android phones have a sort of screen time thing you could look at like it will give you detailed descriptions of like this is how you spent your time on your phone this week um and asking all my students like and part of this there's preparation right like ahead of time like make sure you can have step-by-step instructions about how they do this but step out and say like, let's all look at our phones. Let's see how this time was used. Let's let's think about and let's let's use the Ignatian principles of like consolation and desolation. When I use this, am I growing in love for neighbor or not? And mm. I think there's some work to be done. What I would want to think through my my sort of next step on my takeaway is how to help them understand when social media is moving them towards or away from God because. It would be an easy teenage answer of like, well, I I like talking to my friends and I and and I talked to my friends and so it was good. Um, but there's a sense of like starting to ask questions that make them reflect on those friendships, and and when you are using this, what are what are the good ways it's responding to things? I mean, we we're not Snapchatting each other memes, but we regularly send the three of us like humorous things to each other during the week. Like it asynchronous phone-based communication has been helpful for our friendship and yet recognizing its limits and recognizing when it's, when it can't do something. Um, I'd want to think through a whole like curriculum because there's just tons of new concept that I think students don't have. Um, so yeah. yeah, part of it is, is, is really nailing, hammering out, like a lesson, a curriculum, 
easily communicatable concepts to help them grasp this idea. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think my takeaway is that um, you're right, that that's, that's what we need to do. And I think that like building an examine, um, yeah, approaching it through both like looking at it as, as a liturgy, um, using the categories of Ignatian prayer, um, those are all helpful. I also wonder if there's even a preliminary practical step of like, how do we, how do, how do we ourselves as pastors like <laughs> develop our own awareness? Like what, what do our feeds say about us? What, like even expanding into larger media, the books we read, the shows we watch, the movies we go see, like, like what are those revealing about us? And like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on <laughs> the pastor whose problem this was <laughs> like, like how, how many, um, yeah, pastors, ministers, youth workers are, are, are ill-equipped to help our students do this because they're not aware of it in their own lives. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, and maybe that's just a matter of like self-reflection or, or, or something we could even right. like teach in the context of, um, yeah. working with other pastors. Um, you, we also need to be aware. Um, and, and that's yeah. the first step before making our students aware. Well said, Ellen. Because it turns out this is not really a new issue. It's just a new expression of an age-old issue, which is right. self-care, self-awareness, spiritual maturity, virtue. It starts with us before we can help other people get there. So I think you're right. Um, my takeaway is that this is um, feels like a much more helpful way to engage the conversation, talking about the algorithm and its effects. Because I, that seems like something that I can engage students in without it coming off like, don't be on social media, it's <laughs> bad for you. Um, which I find to be unhelpful. As soon as you go down that road, it, you're, you know, only the people who already aren't on social media listen to you. And they're like, this guy's right, he's totally right. <laughs> but everyone who, who's on it, um, plus it'd be hypocritical of me because I'm on social media some. Um, so, so I like this because this algorithm is like, hey, let's talk about like how is social media work? Like it, so it's it's more like I feel like we're examining social media rather than examining students' behavior and then trying to help them be aware. That feels much more helpful of a way of approaching than than kind of like putting the focus on you are bad because you do this thing on social media, right? And instead of saying let's look at social media. So I find that really helpful. And the challenge I face and I, I'm feeling is. We already don't feel like we have enough time to teach them how to know the Bible. <laughs> we already feel like we don't have enough time to teach them to, like, understand their faith at, like, a basic, like, level. And so I'm, there's a part of me that's like, okay, when are we going to do this? Because it's super important, and um, I'd like them to graduate high school knowing, you know, who Elijah was. And not all of the <laughs> students always do. So. Yeah. We'll have to do a scope and sequence episode another time. Yes. That would, that would be sequence. super fun. Yeah. So, but I, I think this has been super helpful. If you are interested in this video, if you wanted to check out, don't, you can find it in the liner notes as we mentioned at the beginning. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today on Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast. Uh, you can find our podcast online at OrdinaryYouthMinistry.com and at OrdinaryCast. You can also contact us directly with any questions, comments, or ideas at OrdinaryYouthMinistry at gmail.com. 
We hope this conversation will help you impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. See you next time.